Sometimes the good news doesn't sound so good. In our worship together, those of us who preach always try to be sensitive to your lives and your needs so that preaching can be more, more of a dialogue than a monologue. And that's not hard when the news is good. When it speaks a word of comfort or encouragement to us in the midst of our turbulent, anxious, change-riddled lives. It's when the news is not so good that preaching and listening to become harder. You know, sometimes I wonder what we really mean when at the end of the reading one of us will say, this is the word of the Lord, and the rest of us will respond, thanks be to God. Thanks? All the time? Really? I think a part of the genius of having available to us a lectionary that gives us a suggested passage of scripture for every Sunday in the church year, part of that genius is that it doesn't allow you to pass over those parts of scripture you'd rather not hear or on which you'd rather not preach. The lectionary gives us a, a more complete picture of the person and teaching of Jesus and of the entire biblical witness. The one thing that immediately strikes me as I look at the passage that we just read together is the puzzle of the person of Jesus. He's so different here from the way we usually picture him. We usually think of him standing before us with open arms, offering us Welcome, abundant life, comfort, peace, joy. We see him walking up to Peter and Andrew and James and John and saying simply, follow me. And yet here today we encounter what seems to be a different Jesus who tells his disciples that they will experience hardship and even division. Like it or not, a careful study of the gospel shows Jesus to be just this puzzling person, this alternation between intimate nearness and enigmatic distance. One moment we hear him saying, Come unto me, all you who labor and are heavily burdened, and I will give you rest. And in the next moment he is saying, Do you think I have come to bring peace on earth? No, but rather a sword. Isn't it striking that the gospel writers didn't find it necessary to smooth out these inconsistencies? That they didn't soften Jesus' sometimes hard edges? I think this can caution us against over-cultivating our favorite ideas and images of Jesus. It's an easy trap to fall into. In our day of power struggles, economic uncertainties, and swift root-cutting change, it's our very natural tendency to want to think of Jesus in his comforting, reassuring aspect as a, a counterbalance to our own anxiety. And it isn't wrong to do this because the message of peace and comfort is an integral part of the gospel. It's just not all of the gospel. At the time when the Gospels were being formed and committed to writing, 
The young church was undergoing strenuous persecution and deprivation in some places. It would have been natural for them to preserve only those words of Jesus which promised comfort. But they didn't. They remembered Jesus in all of his multifaceted reality. Now, when Jesus talks about divisions here, we need to recognize that he isn't talking about the intended outcome of his ministry. He is stating a fact that the commitments such as he called for often issue in division, even within the ties of family and friendship. This would have been a very important word for that early church to hear because they were experiencing such divisions firsthand. And they still happen today. Sometimes the divisions occur within the larger family of the church. Some in the church, some of us, have tended to divide up both the church and humanity in general according to what others of us might consider misinterpretations of Jesus' teaching or of the teaching of Paul or of the stories in the Old Testament. Some of us are more open because of our exposure to the gospel, while others of us are more closed. Some of us hear the gospel message as radical inclusiveness, while others of us tend to exclude people who seem different. Sometimes the divisions manifest themselves in in issues about priorities or relationships or even political decisions. This man whose followers turned the world upside down sometimes turns our worlds upside down. And we can feel divided from others and and even within ourselves. Even as the Spirit leads us further and further into truth, we are warned to be ready for this. But as is the case with most of Jesus' words of challenge, there is also a word of comfort. The writer of the letter to the Hebrews puts it this way. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and the sin that clings so closely, and let us run with perseverance the race that is set before us. Looking to Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith, who for the sake of the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, disregarding its shame, and has taken his seat at the right hand of the throne of God. Hebrews reminds us that although we may appear to be running life's race by ourselves, we are surrounded by a crowd of witnesses who have faithfully completed their own races. We are not alone. And we're not alone in the actual running either. We are in the church together, and we witness with and to each other as we run our races. And the metaphor of the race doesn't even stop there. The letter speaks of Jesus as the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. And what that means is that in some way that is hard for us to fathom, Jesus has run this race before us, runs the race with us, has finished before us, and awaits us at the finish line to rejoice with us. When we take seriously the call of Christ to be his disciples, we need to count the cost. 
one of our Presbyterian faith statements, which we have used often in worship together, states it this way. Jesus broadened the definition of neighbor to include those ordinarily despised or excluded. His life in behalf of others led to persecution and death. He commanded his disciples to live the same way. We believe Christ gives us and demands from us lives in pilgrimage toward God's kingdom. Like Christ, we may enjoy on our journey all that sustains life and makes it pleasant and beautiful. No more than Christ are we spared the darkness, ambiguity, and threat of life in the world. We are in the world, but not of the world. Christ calls each of us to a life appropriate to God's kingdom, to serve as he has served us, to take up our cross, risking the consequences of faithful discipleship, to walk by faith, not by sight, to hope for what we have not seen. There's a widely attested saying of Jesus that shows up in many early sources, but as it happens in none of our four Gospels, it is this. Jesus said, those who are near me are near the fire. Those who are far from me are far from the kingdom. I don't know if Jesus actually said that or not. But in pointing to what is at stake, the reign of God, and to the cost of it, the fire, these words fit well with our scripture passage for today and with those words from Hebrews. This commitment Jesus asks from us is nothing to be taken lightly or easily. We must count the cost of our discipleship as individuals and as a community of faith, and then run our race to the best of our ability.